can feel it, can't you? It all starts to seem real when we get to the gospel lesson on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Young Mary is alone in her room. Gabriel shows up and speaks. There's Mary's moment of perplexity when she protests her virginity, followed by the angel's explanation of what will happen. The whole thing leaves us just a little bit giddy because we know that the Advent time of waiting is almost over and Christmas is almost here. For several years, when I served St. John's Church in Roanoke, Virginia, I was one of a few local pastors who appeared in Mill Mountain Theater's annual production of the best Christmas pageant ever. It was a lot of fun. For those who are not familiar with that story, the best Christmas pageant ever is the hilarious tale of a church pageant invaded by the Herdmans, the wildest, most disruptive kids in town. The best lines in the story are given to Imogene, the eldest daughter in the Herdman family, and when Grace, the Christmas pageant's director, read today's portion of the nativity story to the cast, Imogene asks, why didn't Mary get to name her own baby? I would have named him Bill. What did the angel do? Just walk up to Mary and said, you're going to name him Jesus? And Grace, who is entirely flustered, responds, well, yes. But it is a little odd, isn't it? The angel Gabriel does just walk up to Mary and sort of takes over. Gabriel arrives like some sort of fixer and begins dictating exactly how things are going to go. And now, he says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. But why is this so? Why does the Christmas story necessarily begin this way? Well, the summer after I was in the second grade, my family took our first and only summer vacation to the beach. We rented a huge rambling house on the Florida coast outside of Pensacola. My grandparents went with us. And in my memory, this vacation has mythic importance rivaling the nativity story. It was wonderful. And among the memories, I recall waking up early every morning to the sound of the surf and wandering down the boardwalk to the beach. I was up early, but not nearly as early as my grandfather, Pop. Pop, you see, arose with the sun to take his net and his bucket and go crabbing at the edge of the water. I would hit the beach just in time to meet Pop walking back to the house. He'd smile and I'd look down at a five-gallon bucket full of crabs. Pop never put a lid on that bucket, and I asked him if the crabs could climb out. Just watch, he said. And anyone who has ever been crabbing knows exactly what I saw. One crab would extend his body up the side of the bucket. A second crab would climb up that first crab's back and almost make it to the bucket's lip. 
But just as he reached forward with his pincher, a third crab would latch onto his legs and pull him down. I was mesmerized. Endlessly, the crabs would make the effort to escape their predicament. And each time, any hint of cooperation quickly gave way to a primitive panic, with one crab pulling another down in the attempt to leapfrog to freedom. There may be no better image to describe the human condition. Sometimes it feels as if we are but crabs in a bucket. We prove incapable again and again of saving ourselves. As individuals, we attempt to reorder our lives so that we are good and pure and fair, at least to those we most love and cherish, if not to the stranger we meet. We wake up each morning and we say with commitment, mm, today's going to be different. Today I will offer that kind word and I will make the right decisions. Today I will... And then, if you're like me, some days breakfast is barely digested. Before we feel the worst in us, grab hold of an ankle and start to pull us back down. And then we turn on the television or read the newspaper, or open the internet. And we realize that as disordered as our personal lives are, the society in which we live is much worse. With politics, the economic cycle, foreign relations between our nation and others, take your pick, everything we do seems to cause the crabs to tumble back over one another into the bottom of the bucket. Even our best attempts to make things better create unforeseen consequences, collateral damage that's often worse than the original problem that we set out to solve. And friends, this is not academic. You're going to have to trust me on that. Those who lose hold of hope and tumble to the depths are actual, real people. They lined up outside the beacon this morning. They desperately seek help every day from our at-risk youth program. They lie in hospital beds hooked up to innumerable tubes. They sit in the pews this very day. They join us by the hundreds via live stream, anxious about all the ways in which we seem to flail around and almost smother under the mass of desperate others all around us. Sooner or later, we find ourselves realizing our futility in trying to save this world. With each faithful attempt to make things better, other things get worse. We can't even reorient our own hearts with any lasting effect. And our striving exhausts us. Exactly. That's why Gabriel shows up that day 2,000 years ago. That's why he speaks like a fixer, because we cannot ultimately fix ourselves. 
or our world. The time had come for God to take the initiative. The time has come for God to take the initiative. We may ultimately be helpless to help ourselves, but as Gabriel reminds Mary and reminds us, nothing is impossible for God. As we careen toward the joy of Christmas, we must not forget that. We must not forget the why of our joy. It's nothing less than the reality that when we could not move to save ourselves, God moved. When we, like a solitary adolescent child, like Mary, stand paralyzed in the world, knowing that everything we touch seems to fall apart, God enters. And God says, do not be afraid. I will overshadow you, and my son will reign forever and ever. Our joy is the joy that in the end, we are not crabs trapped in a bucket. We are the beloved of God, and our world is in fact God's world, and God's son comes to redeem it. There is, of course, a role that we must play. It's the same role that Mary plays. Though Mary, a virgin, can take no effective initiative in God's saving action, she must, for it to find purchase, be willing to receive it. Gabriel has announced God's plan, and Mary has listened. And then there is that moment of pause. The moment when the Irish tell us the very stars in the heaven held their breath to see what Mary would say. No doubt in the silence, even Mary can feel that tug at her ankle seeking to pull her down. But with courage, Mary says to the star's relief, Here I am, the servant of of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. All we must do is be receptive. All we must do is loose hold of the one above us and quit trying to save ourselves by pulling someone else down. Then God will do the saving work. God will act in us and through us and through invisible yet powerful tendrils of grace throughout our world. Do not be afraid, the angel says, for you have found favor with your God. So get ready. Keep your eyes open. God is coming to save us. And our joy will be complete. Amen.